First Timothy chapter five, starting at verse 17. Let, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says that you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin rebuke before all that others may also may fear. So I just want to look at this, and this is one of those verses that talks a lot about pastors and how pastors are supposed to be <laughs> treated by their church. And as I said, you guys do a fantastic job as far as I'm aware of, and I don't deal with a lot of rumors and everything. But he says, talking to Timothy, Paul says that a elder, a pastor, a teacher of the church, the ruler of the, ruler of the church, is worthy of, to be counted with double honor. And this double honor means respect, but it also has the idea of pay. And this church pays me as well as they can for the small size of our church. Uh, the idea of double honor, though, really goes that they should be paid about twice whatever the going rate is where they're at. Our church will never get there. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say never. God can do all kinds of things out there, but most likely <laughs> we'll never get there with the, with the population we have. And, you know, I'm not asking for a pay raise. Don't get me wrong. You, you all have done really good. Um, so, but it says, and a lot of this will go out to the Internet, and there are people out there that may need to hear this message in other churches. Because uh, I can tell you, when I was in the finance committee of some churches, there's battles over how much a pastor should be paid. You know, people go, well, you know, and I've heard people say, especially in the church, well, the pastor only works one day a week. Well, you know, I don't know about that. I've never seen a pastor who works only one day a week. And even if they do, they're still usually preaching twice that day. They're in sometime in the midweek and doing Bible studies and visiting people in the hospital and making phone calls. And uh, it's been said, and I agree, there's no such thing as a part-time pastor. If the pastor cares about his church, there's no such thing as a part-time pastor. Maybe paid part-time, but you know, by the time you start having to deal with everything else out there, just loving your people. And, you know, and I've said, you know, if you're in the hospital, I'm going to try to make it as, even as busy as I am. And I go to the hospitals a lot of evenings to, to visit people. And I'm here several times a week teaching. So, you know, but he says they're worthy of honor. They're worthy of, of their pay that they get. And I've, I've met people that go, well, the pastor should just serve out of his love for God. Well, that's fine, too. Most of them would. <laughs> Most pastors would serve, you know, just because of their love of God. But then they end up being bivocational, and that cuts into your time, and it's, it's a pain. I, you know, when I find somebody who's sick, and I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm working, and I've got to go to church. And you know, there's times when it makes it very difficult to get out to see people and very difficult to, to make those calls. When I get home at 9, 10 o'clock at night, most of you probably don't want to be called at 9, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, but you know, the Levites were taken care of through the offerings in the, in the temple. And God told the people, you will support the Levites and the priests by your offerings. That the 10% tithe that they gave was to go to the Levites. And, you know, we look at this and, you know, there's lots of people who say they don't deserve it. <laughs> okay, well, maybe there are pastors out there that don't deserve it. But I haven't come across too many of them that don't deserve their paycheck. And, you know, we want to be careful of this. And, again, I'm not preaching to get a pay raise. I'm not pe you, know, you all are doing a fantastic time. But he says especially those that are laboring in the word and doctrine. And this word labor means to grow tired. You know, and you know, if anybody's ever taught 
or stood in a pulpit or taught a Sunday school class, if you're doing a good job at it, it takes time to study. Now, I've studied long enough that I'm down to somewhere between five to 10 hours for every, every study and, and message that I do, but that's still a lot of study time behind getting up here and talking for 30 minutes. And if you've ever taught, you know what it's like. You, know, you want to be ready. You want to be, if, if you're really standing before God and realizing you're doing God's work, it really takes time. You know, I've met Sunday school teachers and stuff that didn't take their study, but it's obvious in their class that they have not studied, they have not prepared. And then you sit in somebody's class and you go, this person is prepared. And you know, part of that preparation is for us. We get to study so much that we will never talk to you guys about. And I'm, you guys are probably glad. You say, you talk too long anyway, Pastor. <laughs> but uh, you know, if I was to give you everything that I had learned over, over the week of study, we would be here till about 2 or 3 o'clock every day. Wouldn't hurt my feelings any. Might hurt some of your feelings a little bit. But I love to teach, and I love to have people learn. And, but, you know, what, we say, what he's saying is they're worthy of it. And then he quotes two scriptures. It says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox. Now, that term comes out of Deuteronomy 25.4, where it says, as the, as the ox works there, you, you, you were not going to muzzle the ox. As the ox was turning, the, turning the, the grinder around, the ox was supposed to be able to eat the straw and everything that was on the floor. And it says, don't muzzle the ox. And it was a habit of their day to muzzle the ox, make it work and, and not eat anything. And God says, no. If, somebody, if, if something or somebody is laboring, they are too be able to enjoy the work, fruit of their labor. And then he quotes from, from Luke that says the uh, worker is worthy of his hire, and that comes from Jesus. You know, Jesus said those at work deserve to be hired, uh, paid. And, you know, he was using it even in general terms because in that day they did, you know, a lot of things that happen even in our day where people would make people work. They'd get to the end of their day and in that day, you got paid every day, and they would come up and say, well, I don't have enough money to pay you today. I'll pay you tomorrow or next week or whatever it is. And Jesus was saying, no, they're worthy of their pay. Now, in our day, it's not quite the same. We work all week long or two weeks, and we get paid the following time. But, you know, we still expect a paycheck at the end of that period of time. And, you know, there are a lot of places out there that will try not to pay you. You know, they don't get to keep their employees very long because, you know, I don't know about you, but if, they, if I didn't get my paycheck, I probably would not be working out at the prison. If they said, well, sorry, we're not paying you this week. I'm going, well, sorry, I'm not working anymore. <laughs> you know, and this is what God is saying. If somebody is working, they're worthy of the pay that they're earned. And in their day, it was you got paid every day. You know, and they got paid usually enough to buy enough food to, to, buy, to eat the next day. And, you know, you know, we, we think some of these things are so new. You know, how many, how many people in our day live paycheck to paycheck, and we think it's new? It's not new. <laughs> Back then, it was the same thing. You, you worked all day to get enough to eat the next day, and you worked that day to eat the next day. You know, we've talked about this. Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. You know, we're, we're turning to what we're calling a post-Christian world. And I've already shared with you, what that really means is we're becoming what we used to be before Christ. You know, you, know, you know, they used to kill the old, they used to kill the sick, they used to kill their children they didn't want, and here we're doing the same thing in our day and age. You know, and to be, 
you know, to trust somebody was, you know, you didn't trust people in, before Christ. We are becoming what we were. And you listen to everybody and they're going, oh, look at all this. Look how far we've come. We're throwing off these Christian ideas and we're getting these brand new ideas. You know, we need to be careful because we need to know history. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, our churches have so much problem. We, we, we should go back to the first century when all the churches were perfect. Well, I don't know. Paul wrote an awful lot of letters to churches that were having a whole lot of problems. <laughs> they were the same problems that we have in our churches today. Nothing new, nothing changes. You know, we, we glorify the past. You know, even in our recent future, you know, recent times, people go, well, back in the 40s, we didn't have any of these problems. Back in the 50s, we didn't have any of these problems. You know, I think if we went back and we looked at the newspapers from the 50s, they would have been saying, back in the 20s, back in the, the, the 10s, we didn't have any of these problems. And look at all the problems we have. We need to be careful because nothing new under the sun. Now, we have some new ways to deliver things. You know, the, you know we, we have magazines now that you don't have to go get a paper magazine. You get it on the internet now. So we may have some slightly different ways to deliver the inf information, deliver the sin, deliver the, the news. But the news is still the same. The, the activities are still the same. We can just deliver it differently. And so we want to keep this in mind. God says, be people with integrity. Pay the people what they're due. If you hire people to do work, pay them. Pay them what you say. If you agree to work for somebody, give them what they asked for, for the amount that they pay for. You know, I've heard people, well, you're just not paying me enough. Well, you knew what the pay was when you were hired. I expect your work. You know, and we, we see this all the time where people go, well, you know, they want to change the rules <laughs> in, the, in the middle of something. Well, I agreed to do this job, but, you know, for such and such, but I think it's work is harder than I agreed. Integrity is very important to go out and say, I've agreed. And we talked about this. How many times do people make promises and then back out of their promise? I will help you next week uh, move, move, your, move your furniture in your yard. Oh, you know what? You know, call them up on Thursday or Friday. Oh, you know what? I got these tickets to this really great concert in... You know, I, gotta, I just cannot help you tomorrow. That's not what God's wanting us to do. He says, be, have integrity. Be able to say that you're worthy. And it goes into every part of our life. Are we worthy of God? And, you know, this is a little bit off this particular topic, but, you know, how many of us, when we've gone to work, and most everybody here is retired now, but, you know, did we give our employer full effort? And I shared with you, I worked with them, it was really bad. I'd go on break, and the people were on break when I started. I'd, I'd leave break, they were still on break. And, you know, I'd go get water or go to the bathroom, they were still on break. <laughs> you know, I'm going, I'm thinking, do these guys ever work? You know, are these people ever working? They'd go on their half-hour lunch break uh, 15 minutes early and come back 30 minutes late. You know, and we look at this, as Christians, we should work for the Lord. You know, we should be able to say, people look at it and say, now that is what a Christian is supposed to be, a person of integrity, a person who, when they say something, it does it. When they are expected to do something, they do it. And it's very important for us to be this way because that's what God asks. He says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. If you can't do something, tell them no. 
Now, I know there's lots of people who have problem with the word no. <laughs> you know, I know lots of people that just can't tell somebody no. You know, no, you can't do this. You know, I'm going to encourage you, if you have a reason to say no, say no. Don't tell somebody yes and then back out. You know, uh, I've seen many, especially uh, older mothers and fathers that take their kids back in the house. They can't afford to have their kid back in the house, but they just can't tell their kid no because they might end up in the street. Well, ending up in the street might be the best thing for that child. Now, if they need to be home and you have good reasons to say yes, say yes. But you know, it's kind of a strange thing now that how many people are in their 30s, 40s, 50s that are still living at home? They haven't grown up. I've met a lot of, you know, people who should be in having strong families that are still children in their, in their thinking. And we need to be careful. We need to be able to say no once in a while. God tells us no frequently. You know, I love it when people say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, last I knew, no was an answer. It may not be an answer we want to hear. <laughs> you know, uh, the kids don't want to hear no, and you know what? Adults don't like to hear no any better than the kids. You know, we need to be aware that if sometimes God says no, and he has his reasons for saying no, he knows that it may not be what's good for us. And he says no. And just like a little kid, we will stomp our feet and complain and gripe, God, you just don't love me. You don't want me to have fun. You're, you're just trying to ruin my life. And God says, no, I have a good reason to say no. But we're so busy complaining that we don't usually get to that point. But he says here that they're worthy of it. Then he says in verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. This is one that is violated probably more than any other thing out there. And this is, I'm even going to put it this way, you know, how many times have kids split the mother and father because they listen to something that the kids say about the other parent? This is something very important for us to be careful of. You know, if somebody wants to cause problems, a lot of times they just make an accusation and say, well, they did such and such. And even if you don't believe the accusation, it plants a seed of doubt. How many of you have ever had somebody accuse somebody and you go, well, that doesn't sound like that person. I don't believe they would ever say, do, act that way. But you know, that sticks in the back of our mind. We need to be very careful about that. And I've shared with you the biggest thing you can do is if somebody makes, is ready to make an accusation or talk to somebody behind their back, your first instinct should be, if you're going to be a good Christian, is, well, let's go talk to them. Okay. If they're present, you can tell me anything that you want to tell me. And you, many of you have probably had me do, no, we're not going to go that direction. We've got to stop talking to th about this. You know, and I'm just like you are. Sometimes I'm a little slow in recognizing that I'm listening to something I shouldn't hear, but I'm fairly quick at stopping it once I do recognize, oh, hold it, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not going down that path. Okay. And it's very important. You know, this is for anybody, not just an elder, but especially an elder but a, and leader. But, you know, if somebody wants to come up to well, you know what so-and-so did? No, but if they were here, you can tell me. <laughs> I've asked people that a lot of times, and you know what? I can tell you on no fingers <laughs> how many people have taken me up on the offer to go talk about somebody in front of them. Nobody has ever taken me up on that. We all seem to have this desire to talk about people behind their back. 
And we need to be very careful about that because it does not do any good to assassinate somebody. You know, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't do any good. You know, if we really cared about that person, we'd be going to them and talking to them in the first place. We'd be praying for them. We want to be very careful with this. And accusations become so easy. You know, you're just having a little non-thinking time, and the next thing you know, you find yourself talking about somebody. Well, you know what somebody, you know, so-and-so did. You know, they, you know, they did this, they said that. And you can get into it so fast. Be careful of that area. You know, what are we told to do in the scriptures? We're to edify one another. We're to build each other up. We're to love one another. And sticking a knife in their back is not loving them. You know, and we as Christians have this really wonderful way of sticking the knife in somebody's back. You know, you know what? You need to pray for brother so-and-so because... And we go into all that they've done wrong in the name of a prayer request. I will tell people, no, I don't need to hear that to pray for them. I can pray for them because I'm praying to the one who knows what they need. All right? And so we want to be very careful about this. This does not mean an elder cannot be called out. Now, we've heard many stories of pastors in these big churches that have gone into adultery and fornication and things that have been called out. God has a way of bringing our sin out. And he doesn't need us bringing other people's sins out. Because if we've confessed our sins, God is going to forgive them and cover them. If we don't confess our sins, Jesus said your sin will be shouted off the rooftops. And as I've said, the higher your uh, position, the more influence you have, the more people will hear about your sin. You know, if you have very little influence, your sin will just be shouted out to the people that you have influence in. Some of these mega pastors, some of these televangelists who are thinking that they're above everything had their sin announced to the whole world. And that would be an awful place to be. But you know, we need to be sure our sin will find us out. David, when he committed the adultery with Bathsheba, he thought he'd gotten away with it. He'd killed her husband. There was nobody that was talking about it. And then God sent him a prophet saying, uh, David, we've got a problem. <laughs> and if you remember, he gave him this story about a man who took the, the, the one sheep that this poor person had, and he had plenty of sheep. And David got so angry because having been a shepherd, it was like this was, you know, he could remember those times when he had the little lamb that he had fallen in love with. You know, that he took care of, and then if somebody stole that lamb and killed it, he'd have been upset. And he said, David, you're the man. And his sin was announced. And this punishment for his sin affected the entire nation. You know, people will say sometimes, well, my sin didn't hurt anybody. There is no sin out there that doesn't hurt somebody. None. It doesn't, it is never just one individual. You can hurt your family. You know, adultery will hurt the family in a great way. It, and it will hurt the other person's family. There's great pain in that. Theft will always hurt somebody, you know, even if it's theft of time. You know, I talked about these people who would, not, who would be on break too long. You know, they never thought about it, but they were stealing from the company time, money for work they had never done. You know, how are we doing with our integrity? How do we do? Because God says your sin will be de uh, declared. And we need to keep this in mind. When God says things, we need to be aware it's going to happen. 
You know, and people will go, well, it's not a big deal. Well, God says sin is a big deal. In our world, they're trying to say sin's not a big deal. They're trying to tell us that there's no right or wrong. This is a huge battle in our day and age. Is there right and wrong? Well, if you're going to believe the Bible, there's right and wrong. You know, there is absolute right and wrong because God created the heavens and the earth, and we have the problems we have in our, in our world because man sinned. Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin and punishment and death upon this world. We need to keep this in mind. You know, we look at this, and sometimes people go, well, you know, how come a good God allows so many bad things to happen? Well, the bad things happen because technically there are no good people. We are all sinners. And I've said this so many times. The question isn't why does God let bad things happen to good people. The real question is why does God let good things happen to bad people? And we go, well, my sin's not that bad. Well, by your standard, it may not be. But by God's standard, it is. And we've got to start seeing things from God's way of thinking. Because the more we try to apply man's way of thinking, the more we don't have it reasons for anything. Why is this world as bad as it is? Because man sinned and we're under judgment. Why, you know, why is there death and destruction? Because man sinned and brought death into the world. And God says, I've got a way out. I've got an eternal life through Jesus Christ, my, his son. Jesus was sent to this world because God loved us so that he could die for us so that we could have eternal life. This is the power of knowing God's word. You can have an answer for the things that happen in your life. You know, when bad things seem to happen in your life, you can go, God, I know two things about you. You said that all things work together for good and that you are a good God and have a plan. And then bad things seem to happen. And you'll know that almost always you'll say, seem to happen. Because usually if you put enough time between what looked like bad and, and where God takes you in the future, you start to understand that it really wasn't that bad. You learned something. You were able to work with somebody. You were able to empathize with somebody. You know. And that does not mean that the actual event was good. The events are bad. When somebody is murdered, it is a really bad event. But God will work something good out of it. He will work forgiveness. He will work out his grace. The death of Jesus was a bad event. He was scourged, nailed to a cross, and then the father turned his back on his son. The ultimate pain was the father turning his back on, his, on the son for the first time being separated from him. Why? So that we could have redemption. So that we could be brought, brought back to God. You know, an awful event. There's nothing good about the cross when it happened to Jesus. The results of the cross were good. And Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. Willingly. You know, he told Pontius Pilate when he said, you know, I hold your life in my hand. And Jesus said, you would have nothing if the Father didn't allow it to you. He goes, I could call 10,000 angels to deliver me. And he went to the cross willingly. Knowing that the cross for him was not a good thing. And don't ever think that just if you go through bad things that the good that the thing you're going through is good. It is not good. The result that God will bring from it is what's promised to be good. And it may not even be for our good. It may be for somebody else. If you read through Fox's Book of Martyrs, those people who died, well, it was good for them, too. They ended up in heaven. But <laughs> the event that they were going through was not that great. 
but they're remembered for their steadfastness for God. And people came to Christ because they were steadfast for God in the face of death. Now, was it for their good? Mixed feelings. They ended up in heaven, so they probably said, yes, it was. (laughs) But by the same token, no, it wasn't. There was a lot of pain involved in their deaths, and some of them were great painful deaths. If you want to read a book that's hard to read, read Fox's Book of Martyrs and listen and see the pain and agony mankind can inflict on other men. Being crushed, being pulled apart, being stabbed, being run through, being, you know, Nero liked to put him in pitch and tar and burn him, burn him as lights in his garden. You know, that was the fate of many Christians, to be dipped in oil and burnt so they could light up his gardens. You know, all these things, and he was one of the least grotesque things that they talk about. But the people would have the attitude of the apostles. And their attitude was, thank God I've been found worthy of suffering. Most of our Christians in our day, when they have suffering, they go, God, what's wrong with you? you you're not supposed to let out all these bad things. Biblically, we see the statement so often, thank you, Lord, that you, made, that you thought I was worthy of suffering. We need to have that attitude. When we're going through a hard time, God, you know, I may not understand it, God, but you have a plan. You have a plan, and I'm going to bow to your plan. And who knows what that plan's going to be? And I'm not saying there's good, good in the pain. You know, there's good resulting from the pain. There's good the place that God takes us to from the pain. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata, if you don't know her, she, had a, she was diving and broke her neck when she was 17 years old. Quadriplegic. She runs a very large ministry that ministers to all the disabled around the world now. You know, been... 50 years in a, in a wheelchair. Was it good that she had an accident? No, and she'll tell you first off, no, it was not good, but she'll also say, I thank God for it because of where he brought her to. He gave her a love for th- people that she would never have had a love for and a desire to help people that she would never have helped. Think back through the pain in your life and say, God, what did you teach me from this pain? What is the lessons that were learned? If you didn't learn any lessons, ask God to show you the lessons you were supposed to have learned. Because he's got something in that. And again, I'm not saying the pain is good. I do not say, you know, thank you, God, for all the pain I'm in. I'm going, God, what is your plan? What is it you have in store for me through this? Because he has something good always. Always. You know, for his children, he's got a good plan. The question is, are you his child? And you only know that between you and God. Do you know God? Because he says your sin's going to be called out. Your sin is going to have consequences. And that's what I've said so many times. If something bad is seeming to go on in your life, the very first question is, do I deserve it? Have I sinned and do I deserve this act that I'm going? If you deserve it, God, please forgive me and, and help me endure this punishment so I don't do it again. If you can't find a reason that you deserve it, then you go, God, help me get through this and show me what, the, what I'm to learn from it. And sometimes it's just a test. Are you going to trust in God? Job had to run through a lot of tests. Job had a problem. and you'll, His problem was that all these guys that accused him of being a sinful, sinful person were telling him what he believed. If you did right, you were blessed. If you did wrong, you were cursed. 
God's testimony of Job was that he's a perfect man, good and upright. He couldn't understand why he was going through it. His friends didn't understand why he was going through it. But God was saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to learn the lessons that I have, that I'm in control? Job learned it by the, by the end, and God blessed him in great ways at the end. How many times has God put us through a test? And the test usually is, do you really believe what you believe? God, I believe that you're sovereign. Okay, when I let something bad in your life, are you going to believe that I'm sovereign? Many people go, nope, I don't believe you're sovereign when something bad happens. God, you're sovereign when something good happens in my life, but you're not sovereign when something bad happens. God, I believe you want me to love everybody. And he puts somebody that's very hard to love in your life. God, I, I really believe you're supposed to forgive people. Next thing you know, you're going to have somebody that's going, to be, that's going to do something that's going to be very hard for you to forgive. And God's saying, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that God wants to save all people and he's going to put people that are very lost in your path and saying, are you going to share the gospel with them? You know, he's going to put things into your life that is going to say, do you really believe? Now, the sad thing about that is the tests don't stop. <laughs> they only get harder. The more we believe it, the more the test has to be given to us. You know, each one of us has some area in our life that if we were t tested, it probably wouldn't be a big deal. You know, I am not a drinker, never have been. You could put alcohol in front of me all day long, and I'm not tempted to drink the alcohol. There's not a temptation. But there's other people, even in this room, that if they put a alcohol in front of them, it would be a great temptation not to touch it. Now, I have other areas where I can easily be tempted, and I know those areas, and I put a very hard guard on those areas that I don't want to be tempted in. But we need to be aware that God is going to tempt us. And you know, even in those areas where you think you would never fall, be careful because a lot of times those are the areas that you fall. And I've shared with you, when I was in my early 20s, I walked away from God for about two years. If anybody had ever told me in my teens, there's going to come a time when you're not going to be in church, I'd have laughed at them. Because I loved being in church. I loved being with God's people. I was at the church whenever I could. I started becoming a workaholic. I started missing services because I was just busy work. And before long, I hadn't been in church for a long time, two years. And all of a sudden, I had to realize, hold it. What's going on? And it was my second oldest son one day. He just said, can we go to church? And I'm thinking, well, I have no reason not to go to church. I've just gotten out of the habit. We need to be careful because sometimes our strengths can be a place where we don't put a guard on. God, I would never do whatever it is. Many of these pastors that have fallen into adultery, I can guarantee in their early lives, they would have said, I would never cheat on my wife, ever. Didn't put a guard on their heart. And eventually, the right circumstances came along and caused a problem. Which is also why we need to be careful how we look at somebody who's fallen. You might have fallen long before they did. You've probably fallen many other places and they didn't. We need to still love one another, even when we have a fallen brother or sister, and say, you know, God still loves you because he does, and not criticize and destroy. You know, we as Christians have a hard time sometimes forgiving people, you know, especially if, they, if we looked up to them. You know, well, I already thought you were some super Christian. There's no such thing as a super Christian. You know, there are certain people that are so in God and so much in love with God that they seem to have things together, but, you know, that just means they have problems that you're not aware of. You know, how many of us have the wonderful 
thought problems. And Jesus said, you know, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you've been angry with your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. You know, a lot of people, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, many of us have killed lots of people in our heart. And if we could have gotten away with it, might have done it actually in, in real life. You know, we need to be careful because God says his judgments are so much higher than our judgments. We're going to close here and... and Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us always to love one another. Help us to be aware of how we listen to one another and, and what we say to one another. Lord, give us discerning ears that when we hear people starting to say negative things that we will immediately stop that conversation and do godly actions toward it. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask that they will c confess their sins and admit that they are a sinner deserving hell and accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and as their Savior. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.